So I've kind of landed on this for this morning, and uh, um, <clears throat> I find that um, many times uh, it's so easy for us to get our heads in the weeds, and we lose the big picture of what Christ is doing and what he asks the church to do. And, uh, you know, as some of you know, I'm, I'm blessed to serve in an organization, and uh <clears throat> I find for our staff, too, it's kind of a Nehemiah principle. Uh, people begin to lose focus. So there's kind of a principle, almost like 30 days, we have to go, oh, yeah, that self was, <laughs> what are we doing? You know, just basic questions. What are we doing right here? As a, why do we do what we do? And uh, we're constantly, I'm personally, I'm having that, to examine my own heart, to say, okay, what am I doing? Uh, what's occupying my time? Why am I doing that? And then how are we doing? Okay, there's another question. I didn't put it in here yet. It's like, what are we supposed to be doing? <laughs> That's probably a good one to start with, right? And uh, so I find that uh, constantly uh, I need to ask myself these questions. And, uh, you know, nothing's worse than being out somewhere where you kind of lose your bearing and you're, you're not sure what direction you're going. Uh, I remember years ago when Deb and I were uh, were uh, blessed to serve on Papua New Guinea. It was one evening, one it wasn't an evening. It was towards the middle afternoon, uh, going into the evening, and a bunch of us said, "Hey, let's just jump in a boat." And they had a beautiful volcanic rims out there, and so we dive and snorkel around these. You can see like 40 feet down. It's beautiful. So we were out there. I don't know how long, and just under the water. And uh, when we come up, we realize, man, there is a massive storm coming from the land out, which was a bit unusual. Usually it comes from the from the ocean in. But this one, I still remember seeing it. It was this huge cloud that just kind of rolled up like this. And we were like, wow, we better, we better try to get around that thing. There was no getting around it. And uh, I, we were a number of miles out in the ocean. And that that ocean kicked up, and it was so rough. You could not stay in place. You had to be moving. Otherwise, a wave would just come right in the boat. So I'm right in the very front. And I look back for assurance to the captain that's running the boat. And I kid you not, he had goggles and a snorkel on. He was ready. <laughs> okay, that does not help. And... uh so all we could do, seriously, we lost total, we could not see land, we didn't know where we were going. So all we could do is like, well, the wind came from shore, so let's just keep our face in the wind and we'll just kind of keep going that way. I don't know how long we did that. And, and you know, I thought, man, we're like one wave away from just sinking out here. And uh, so uh, obviously we made it and uh, we... We drifted way, way down from where we were supposed to be. But I remember standing on land, and I was like, I don't know if it, I was ever more happy to be on land. And uh, so, you know, we get in a situation, and I've been in other life-threatening situations. I won't take the time to, to tell about those. Um, but uh, the ones that I don't like are where, like, I... I I don't have a sense of where we are, and uh, there's no point of reference. And uh, <clears throat> so this morning, I just want to say, what is our point of reference? 
as a church. And uh, so we'll kind of go from there. But let's look at the purpose of the church. And of course, these are, I'm not going to tell you anything new this morning. Um, <clears throat> well, maybe there'll be some things you haven't heard before, I'm sure. But uh, Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 42, familiar verse to us, right? And uh, <clears throat> we see the, <clears throat> I'm sorry, we see the, uh, uh, purpose of the church and what the church was focused on right from the, right from the very beginning. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine. Okay. One fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. That's an excellent outline to start with, isn't it? So we see four things there. Um, first thing is just grounding in biblical doctrine. And uh, if you could go to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse uh, starting with verse 12, I think it is. <clears throat> now let's go to 11, and then we'll read. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Okay, why did Christ do that? Why did Christ do that and give those uh, gifted men uh, to the church? And it says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, not that we're going to be perfect, but maturing, right? Uh, Christ-likeness, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so... As you see there that, uh, you know, another pur- purpose, another focus of the church was this aspect of equipping. That word equipping actually means that it makes us ready. It makes us fit. Okay. And that's kind of why we're here. Uh, that we need, we need to be grounded well in truth. And, um, I, I think the saddest situation or the state of the general church today is Doctrinal illiteracy <laughs> and misunderstanding. And, uh, you know, you see some of the stuff that's going on and you trace it back. I'm talking about the stuff that's going on in a church. And, uh, you know, you could trace that right back to, um, just misunderstanding of good biblical thinking, good biblical doctrine, good biblical, uh, teaching, right? And uh, today, one of the things that seems so obvious is uh, it's like there's many in the church today that feel like we need to really work to make this a better place. And if you hold an amel position, of course, you would think that, right? That, uh, you know, we're going to just kind of usher in to Christ coming back. And, uh, you know, the thousand years is basically spiritual. It's not literal. And so the focus of the church should be on humanitarian stuff. And and I tell you, there's a big skew right now going on with the church in the, in the core purpose that Christ has asked us to be focused on. And uh, so that's just one example. There's other examples, too, that you can take that and trace it back. And that's why it's so important, and I appreciate the assembly here, that you know, we the the whole focus is on teaching and God's word, and uh, you know, there's so much depth. Uh, and as you sit here, very blessed to be sitting under the teacher, 
teaching of many of the, the different uh, brothers here. Then it talks about the unity of the faith uh, when we come together. You know, it, in Ephesians there, it talks about the knowledge of the Son of God. I think in First Peter, he talks about, you know what, I'm not going to tell you anything new. I'm just going to remind you to increase in the knowledge of Christ. And say increase in the knowledge of a bunch of other stuff, but increase in the knowledge of, of uh, Christ. First uh, Timothy one three, uh, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, man, do not give ground on on uh, the teaching that you've you've received, and uh, don't give up on that. And uh, uh, <clears throat> I I tell you today that uh, there's a lot of bumping on those moorings today. And, uh, you know, pray for your elders, that they hold fast, that we don't move. We leave those stakes in the ground where they should be. We can change a lot of other stuff, but we can't change that. And uh, we need to be fastened to that. And so Paul is telling Timothy, man, guard the things. Timothy, you followed me. We taught together. Uh, we were in rough boat rides together. And uh, you saw my life. And hang tight with that teaching. <clears throat> in First Timothy four sixteen, take heed to yourself <clears throat> and to the doctrine. Continue in them. And so this morning, I'm just encouraging us. You know, stand fast in those things. All the teaching that floats around there. This is where the web is is quite dangerous. Uh, there's lots of stuff on there, and uh, there's always an element of truth, but then there's a spin on it. And uh, that we would have good deep discernment when we're tapping into stuff and make sure we go back to God's Word and see it for yourself here and uh, compare that. <clears throat> Second thing he says is just the fellowship. And I always have to have a slide like this, and I'm sorry it's in here, but do the best you can with it. But as I think of the fellowship, I think of one-anotherings, right? And I think there's like 55 one-anotherings in God's Word. I'm not going to do all 55. I tried to say, okay, well, this is kind of it. But anyway, just we'll just take a look at it. I'm sure you'll catch some of it. <clears throat> it's a pretty good list. We could spend, that could be a good summer, maybe next summer or something. You could really focus on those one anotherings. I find it always quite challenging. And uh, that the Lord, why is all that? Why do we sit right here? Well, Christ has said, you know what? There's a body. And I love that image of body. I love that he's the head. I tell you, that that allows me to rest really good at night, to, to realize we don't have to have everything figured out. And, uh, you know, Christ is the head. He's the one that's building his church. He's the one that we should be looking towards. And, uh, and then he talks about how we function together, all those one anotherings. And there's not a time I go through there that I'm not convicted on a number of the points and say, you know what, I'm not doing too well right there. So that aspect of, again, the purpose as we see in, in Acts chapter 2 verse uh, 42, that, that thing of fellowship coming together. And uh, man, what a tremendous blessing. A lot of churches around the world do not have the freedom that we have to just always just get together and you know what, I've, I've, Deb and I have been with this assembly for a lot of years, and I just want <clears throat> to just applaud you for the fellowship that we see. 
And it doesn't matter any time that there's a call for help. It's like everybody just pitches in. And, uh, you know, God wants us to function according to the our natural talents and the gifts that he's given to. He's given each of us a spiritual gift. And it's not for us, but it's to benefit this whole aspect of the fellowship of the body. Then he says the breaking of the bread and how precious that time is that we have just uh, the hour before this, right? And uh, we remember Christ and how important that is. Um, we remember his person and his work. And that's the whole focus, nothing else. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that don't understand just the preciousness of that. And uh, it is. It, it's uh, when Deb and I are, are, you know, other places of the world or whatever, we really miss that. And I tell you, every time I drive out of here, I'm just, I find my heart just thankful. Thankful for the focus of this assembly. Thankful for the teaching. Thankful for the fellowship thankful for the focus that is on Christ. And we acknowledge his preeminence, right? It's so important we, we put the words on the, on, on the front there. And uh, then we acknowledge his headship, all those things, and, and uh, we worship, right? But the whole focus, and that's what all this is about, that we have a time and we recognize that it's easy for us to get distracted and the reason I'm talking about these things this morning because I see the greatest danger in the church today is distraction. You know, there's so many things vying for our attention. There's so many little battles that we can step into. And it's like, that's not what God called us to do. You know, that's not what He, He, that's not the purpose of the church. And unfortunately, more and more you can't separate the church from its political stance. And that's not what God called us to do. It doesn't mean we don't engage and we're good citizens. God's Word teaches that, right? But that's not our focus. And uh, we go back to His headship. And then the last thing here, He talks about prayer. And we think, okay, what is prayer? Just acknowledging our need and our dependence on God, right? And as many times these uh, last week as I wake up, and I'm thinking about these couples that are trying to get out of the country, and man, the privilege that we have just to say, man, God, would you help them? Would you help their kids rescued tonight and amidst all the fighting and bombing and airplanes that are flying over? And uh, we have, we're blessed to do that. We're, we're always blessed at any time just to have access to the very presence of God. There's a number of verses right there. You know, James 1.6, it tells us, look, when we ask, you must believe and don't doubt. And <clears throat> I have to say that uh, when it comes to faith and prayer, it seems like Deb is, is much stronger than I am in this, you know, and, and uh, it's okay. Um, <clears throat> we learn from each other. And, uh, I like this one, Mark 9.22, uh, when the... Uh, I believe it was the commander that needed his uh, daughter healed. And Christ said, man, if you just believe. And he said, man, help my unbelief. And I find myself often at that place. And uh, anyway, there's many, many verses that we could list. But again, the purpose of the church together, uh, that we focus on that aspect of prayer. 
I think in Paul's writings, there's like 41 times where he exhorts uh, the church to pray. And then uh, we go on to Ephesians 4. Like, why? Why is all this? Like, what is this moving us towards? And he says, for the work of the ministry. And this is actually the only place this word is used. But it means servant. That's what it really means. It means to... to uh, Really, roll up your sleeves and serve. And uh, this was a different concept to the, the Jewish uh, culture. They did not have, you know, those that serve are either low on the status or you do it to earn something. But to actually serve because it's a motivation that comes out of the relationship with Christ, that was foreign. But we said, well, okay, what is ministry then? Of course, I just, a couple of things that came to my mind, of course, is uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, uh, brethren, that we present our bodies a living a sacrifice, we're living a holy sacrifice, which is your reasonable service, right? And uh, so that aspect, and then later on in that chapter 12, he goes into... Uh, what we call the motivational gifts. There's like seven gifts that are listed there. And uh, the whole emphasis is that we dedicate, we're submitting daily, uh, we're sacrificing our body for the service of this, of the church. And, uh, <clears throat> and then he uses a phrase in chapter 12. He says, according, however, according to your faith, right? And, uh, so we each step into those things and we walk according to the level of faith that God has given and we continue to grow in those things. And uh, we also see the other verse that came to my mind, I believe it was read this morning or pretty close to it, was uh, ministry means the handling of the good news. And uh, 2 Corinthians, actually when you're in 2 Corinthians, that's that's uh, kind of that's the the book where Paul is just bearing his feelings, and he's being attacked. His character is being attacked. His his authority to teach, etc. And uh, then he goes into chapter four, and he says after he builds his case of uh, you know that he, that he is he does have responsibility. He has been a, a given authority. Uh, by Christ to do what he's doing. Then he says, therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry is referring to? The new covenant, the, the good news of, uh, you know, Christ's uh, death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, <clears throat> he says, as we have, a re- uh, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And then the other verses that were read this morning. But we see that the ministry is the good news. And again, we have to ask ourselves, how are we doing in that? You know, and then uh, there's times when I'm really focused on the mission field that God has placed Deb and I in a neighborhood. And there's all kind of different, different people and positions in that block, you know. But other times when I'm like, man, I'm not even thinking as I go out, you know, looking for opportunity to influence and, uh, how God wants us to steward 
and get engaged in that ministry of the good news. As 2 Timothy 2.21, he talks about a vessel for honor, right? You remember that the teaching there. He talks about uh, vessels of dishonor and vessels of honor. And he says sanctified, set apart, useful. That means easy, easy to be useful of. And uh, I have to examine my own heart and say, man, is it, is it easy for Christ to give me a bump and say, man, there's an opportunity to, to just uh, drop something in there that causes that person to consider Christ, to consider there's something more going on in life than having our heads down in a weed and getting occupied by all the different stuff we're in. Uh, useful to the mass, master. Prepared, again, carries the idea of willingness and eagerness as well as a readiness for every good work. And, of course, that's the work that God places in our hands. Okay, so this should not be a new slide. I think I've showed this twice here. But we go to this part about, okay, what is it that Christ asked the church to do? He said, you know what? Go ye. And sometimes we we title that the Great Commission, right? And uh, <clears throat> but sometimes in our mind we think, oh, that's in Matthew, and and Christ said that one time. But as you study the forty days when Christ was resurrected before <clears throat> he ascended, actually you see that those were four different times, and he kept this focus, and he said, hey guys, don't forget. This is what, this is my purpose for you is to go. And, uh, you, I think you've seen this as well. But uh, when you look at those passages that's over on the left there, it might be too small to see in the back. But, um, <clears throat> you have the five different passages. It's a great study. Uh, but there's a different focus on each one of those passages. There's a focus on uh, the model, the magnitude, the method, the message, and the means. And a uh, great study there, but as you go through, you recognize, oh yeah, Christ kept saying that. He didn't just say it once, but he kept reminding them. And then when he ascended, right, you have the one in Acts where it says, uh, you shall receive power. Of course, that's the means that we go out. Tremendous uh, encouragement to us as we walk and keep focused. Um, in the Old Testament, you've seen this too. I hope these are just reminders. But when we look at the Old Testament, right, we see that it's always come and see. And the nations were to come and, and examine and see God's interaction with the nation of Israel. And uh, the emphasis were hopefully they would walk in accordance to that, that incredible relationship as the as the nations saw God act on behalf of Israel, man, the nations were watching that, right? And uh, <clears throat> Jericho, remember when they sent in and they said, man, you know what? We are, we're really shaken. You guys are right there because we've seen what, we've seen what God does for you. And so the nations were looking and they were learning of God by his interaction with Israel. But with the church, it's different. You see, go and tell. There's a difference, you know. We're not sitting right here and saying, okay, this is it right here. This is about us. It's about us really getting well-grounded in doctrine. It's about the fellowship, breaking of bread. No, there's more to it. He does all of that 
so that we will move towards this, that there's other people. Uh, and so when we look at the world and we say, man, where are the majority unreached? And uh, then we see this. And I made a list. Um, we actually have this on our conference. I don't know what size type this is. I'm guessing. I, I just got glasses here that help me a little bit better, a little bit stronger. <laughs> And I'm guessing the type is maybe seven or eight, right? So um, I'm going to put this right here. And this this represents only the unengaged. And there's lots of, I'm glad there's there's people that do a lot of research today. And by unengaged, it means that these people groups listed here, even if they wanted to hear Something about the gospel. There's nobody in their presence that they could bump into. That another believer where they could tell them uh, what the good news is. So I'm going to roll this out here. I'm going to put it on here. And uh, you can take a look at it. I actually was going to type it up and just tape it on my ceiling. But then I realized, uh, or my wall, then I realized it's much too long. I highlighted the ones that actually have to do with uh, India and Nepal. But that's what needs to be done yet. And uh, like I said, that's the unengaged. If we put the unreached in there, which is 5% or less of uh, unreached people groups, um, then we have almost 6,000 people groups. But here I'm just... Actually, when we establish our, our strategies in India and South Asia, this is the first list that I go to. <clears throat> this is another one. It helps us to see what that, what the unreached are. And, and the, the important thing here is the, the ones that are listed in the blue, the, it's kind of a radar graph, right? But, uh, you see in blue that, that in blue represents this list right here. And in other words, uh, the Muslim majority countries, there's a few in Asia, there's like Bhutan, which is really closed, and uh, very, it's a, a Buddhist nation, uh, really difficult to get in there. And uh, so there's other countries around, but that blue represents the peoples that would be like this, that there's, they're, they're dis, distant cultures. That would be out of touch. Yeah, they can get on here probably. But a lot of them, if your vernacular, if your mother tongue is not on here, it can be pretty difficult, right? And, uh, <clears throat> okay. So, we see that God has a purpose for the church. He brings us together on a routine basis uh, to teach us, to ground us. So that when we do go out, we're actually representing his message. And uh, if we just focus on Romans, some of my, my favorite verses where Paul says, you know what, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's not a New Testament principle, right? All the way through, we see that first mention. Well, you see it from 
at Genesis 3, but then we understand more of it in Genesis uh, chapter 12, 13, especially 14. I'm sorry, 15. We see more of that with God's interaction uh, with Abraham. Uh, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Just a couple phrases here that where I find encouragement is the, the, the good news, the gospel. It is the power of God. It's not how great we present it. It's not the, I gotta attain a certain relationship with this individual before the gospel can be effective. Some of that helps, yes. But, uh, for us to remember, no, the good news is actually, it's God's power that speaks into the life of the person that needs Christ, right? And, uh, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So as we give the gospel out, then individuals recognize, you know what? I cannot attain. There's no way I can stand before a holy God uh, in the condition that I'm in. Something has to happen. God has to do something. And uh, so the gospel, and then it talks about the wrath of God is revealed. And uh, you hear people that, you know, talk about God's wrath and they go, ah, God's loving God and you know, as we think about that, I think about all the evil that we see going on in the world and through generation after generation, right? And we, you would have to ask yourself if at some point God did not exercise judgment against that, what kind of God would he be? You know, if our earthly father saw things that were happening to us and he never exercised any type of judgment, or stated that he's displeased with what he sees going on. We would wonder what kind of father that is. And God says, you know what? I see all that that's going on. And uh, there is going to be a time when God is going to exercise his wrath. And uh, he talks in Peter right now that uh, right now he's long-suffering. But he isn't just ignoring it. At some point, uh, there will be... God's wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And in our condition, we've all sinned, okay? There's no without Christ and His work and how Christ places us inside of Himself and our, our whole identity is in Christ, right? <clears throat> Man, the gospel is good news. And as I travel the world and I, I, I study other religions and that, you know what, I'm just convinced that they need to hear the goodness of God. And, uh, you know, when I, I study the, the gods that they worship, and I go, man, that's not a God I want to... I, I, I would not take comfort in a God like that. You know, a God who deceives. A God that, you know, you never know what he's thinking. A God that can exercise and do whatever he wants. And, uh, you know, that they come and they begin to hear. And that's what's so effective about just teaching God's Word. Let God's Word speak for itself. And uh, that's why we do, we talk about foundational teaching where we systematically go through and, and the Bible reveals man's condition. It reveals that God is one that takes initiative and says, you know what, I want to do something to restore that relationship. I want to do something that restore all this that's going on in the world. You know what? Hebrews 2 tells us 
that's going to come back. I will take, I will take ownership of all that again. And uh, <clears throat> Christ creates new creatures of us. He gives us new relationships and values. He gives us hope and understanding and purpose. And uh, <clears throat> now this is a new part because I've never told you my family uh, testimony. But uh, <clears throat> I want to share a little bit. Um, <clears throat> both my mom and dad were alcoholics. And uh, my mom's dad was an alcoholic actually at the age of nine. His mother ran a place up in the mountains of Virginia, a bar. And uh, so my grandfather would go around and he would empty all the bottles when he was just a little guy. And by time nine or ten, he was already alcoholic. And uh, then my, my grandmother married uh, him. And uh, he drank the family literally into poverty. So my mother grew up in a two-car garage and uh, no kitchen, no bathroom, a family of six living in a two-car garage. And uh, my mother would be embarrassed to go to school or get picked up, so she would actually walk, uh, you know, pretty far away from the house to get, get picked up. And uh, a lot more to her story. And uh, her dad was, my grandfather was drafted into World War II, and they were just thankful. Finally, they get him out of the house. And so they had a few years of, of just peace, and then he came back and, I knew him, and he was still an alcoholic. And uh, when he drank, he was just unbearable. And uh, <clears throat> so then uh, on my dad's side, he grew up with an alcoholic dad as well, very mean to him. He tells stories about just uh, how he treated his own kids. And uh, <clears throat> finally got to the place where, i got to check, there's no kids in here. Um, got to the place where uh, he couldn't get a job. And um, <clears throat> so my dad was in ninth, 10th grade in high school, and he'd come home and his dad was sitting at the table with a big knife, just saying, you know what, when your mother comes in, I'm going to kill her. And that's what he grew up in. So he would fight with his dad till he wrestled the knife out of his hand. Other times he'd come home and his dad would have a shotgun right there and threatening to do the same thing. And... uh so this was his life as he grew up, and um, <clears throat> excuse me. So my dad and mom met, and they got married, and of course both of them were again followed same thing they saw their parents do, right? And uh, drinking, and so my sister and I were born. I remember some of those years. Um, <clears throat> But my dad then had a total emotional shutdown. He had been in jail a number of times. Uh, him and his dad were, you know, both fighting and get put in jail together. Not in the same place, but, uh, so just the life that he had, probably about 23 or 24, had a total emotional collapse and uh, couldn't get up, do anything for nine months. Couldn't pay the rent and, uh, really, really hard on uh, just getting food, no purpose, right? And uh, so my mom would call Helen, was a, gr a high school friend of theirs, and they would go out and drink till they passed out. And that's how she was dealing with stuff. My mom called Helen one time and said, what are you doing? Because she just had enough, had to get out of the house. And Helen says, I'm going to church. Mother was like, 
who goes to church? I mean, they didn't have, they weren't even remotely close to anything in church. But she was so desperate to get out of the house that she said, well, I'll go with you. Probably her first time ever in a church other than a a wedding. So she went and on her way out, the pastor was sitting there and said, how are you doing? And my mom says, not very good. And, uh, I don't know if she word, used other words or not, but, um, <clears throat> he says, you mind if I come and see you? She says, I don't care. You could do what you want. And, uh, she went back home and told my dad. My dad was, he's like a little stick of dynamite. And, uh, he says, you know what? If that, if that pastor comes in here, I'm going to throw him out. And I, I know my dad, he would have. And, uh, my mom said, he's never going to show. Seriously, first thing in the morning, she opens the door and <laughs> here's this pastor. And uh, <clears throat> he came through the door and I, I was thinking, okay, big fight coming. And uh, I asked my dad, well, why didn't you throw him out? He said, you know what? When he came through that door, I knew that he had, he had, <clears throat> he had something I didn't. <clears throat> He could not, my dad could not tell you Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John had no clue what any of that would mean. That pastor presented the good news and my mom and dad were made new new creatures. And uh, it literally changed. I mean, it it was one of those, we see that once in a while where somebody's life is like 180. And uh, they would put my sister and I in bed early and actually, within a week, my dad returned back to work. And this pastor stuck to him like glue and discipled him. Obviously, a lot of rough edges that had to be knocked off and uh, in the process there. And uh, what a blessing to have that uh, pastor pour in uh, to my dad and mom that way. But they were so taken up with God's word. They'd put my sister and I in bed and then they would just start reading the Bible. Never, never set eyes in the Bible before. And uh, <clears throat> many times they said it would be light. They had read all night into the, into the dawn uh, because they were just so taken up. And uh, I tell that because uh, I'm a second generation Christian. And uh, I'm so thankful for the good news that came into our family. <clears throat> I tell our children, if you look at God's Word, the fourth generation is always scary. And, uh, you know, we, we know that we're effective parents, not by watching our kids, but by watching our grandkids. Because then we see if the things that we passed on to their children, if they are passing them on to their children, right? But the scary part is, and this is what I challenge my kids with, if we're not diligent to stay focused on those things that we read in Acts, that, you know what, third and fourth generation could go right back to where we started because of the lack of, of you know, acceptance of Christ. And so, man, the gospel is good news. The power, I see firsthand the power of the gospel in my dad and mom's life. And it wasn't until I got older I recognized the things that they had to overcome are really hard. You know, those things that you grow up to, they become deep-rooted in our thinking, right? 
uh, but seen my dad's 92 now and uh, and he's a gentle uh he's a just a nice person to be around and not so <laughs> before <clears throat> the gospel mentioned 13 times in Romans and uh, separated unto the gospel Paul says, I serve in my spirit in the gospel, ready to preach the gospel, not ashamed of the gospel. How beautiful are the feet concerning the gospel, minister the gospel to the Gentiles. I have fully preached the gospel. I strive to preach the gospel, blessings of the gospel, establish you according to the gospel. Oswald Chambers says this, the the missionary's message, really that's our message, Okay, we're not talking about a select group. Is the limitless importance of Jesus Christ as a propitiation for our sins. And a missionary is someone who is immersed in the truth of that revelation. And again, the power, the power uh, of that the message. Christ is building his church. And we could go on. I, I could take another hour and tell you just story after story of how Christ is building his church. And it doesn't matter what's happening. And I tell you, there is a lot of pressure, a lot of places where we're looking to move into. Uh, it's not real welcoming for the gospel. I just want to close with this one story. Is uh, A number of weeks ago, uh, we have in, P- in Papua New Guinea, we have this work, uh, Mibu. I was blessed to go in there and help build their houses uh, when they set up. And... Uh, and there was a, a gang called the Headwater Gang that came in. This is rugged terrain. I tried to get some pictures, but I can't, couldn't transfer them in. But some of the roughest terrain in Papua New Guinea. So this gang would come in, and they would kill and rape and burn houses down. And the police cannot get control of it. I cannot control this gang because they disappear into the mountains. They don't know where they go, and it's so rugged they can't find them. And so this group for months has been going village and village just doing this. And they've come back to this Mibu location where now there is a church planted there. There are believers there. And the police came in one time, and they tried to deal with the situation, but they're having a really hard time. And uh, they actually caught one of the guys that happened to be there that one of the girls that was raped, said, this is the guy that did it. They took him immediately over to the uh, airport and exercised capital punishment right there. And uh, <clears throat> so doing what they can, but they cannot control him. And uh, so <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, um, the church leader decided to write a letter to the leader of the gang. And uh, this is what he said. He said... Um, he said he put forth abuse and a destruction in the Mibu village endured at the hands of this gang. And even how they kidnapped the girls and, and uh, you know, took their gardens, took huge sums of money, and just destroyed everything in there. And so this, this uh, elder at this assembly says, yet you left without the best thing in Mibu. He said the good news. And he's writing this and sent it to that leader in there. And uh, he said the good news about God and how he's made a way through his son, Jesus, to be made 
right from their sin. And, uh, and this is how the gang leader replied. He said, listen, we've stopped everything we're doing. And if anyone among us continues to do those things, he said, I'll kill him myself. He says, we're not, we're no longer upset with the Mebo community. Uh, we know that we were the ones who did the wrong. Pass on the word to the police. We want to hear the teaching about God's news. <laughs> Just one example. It'll be interesting. I think a testimony that will ripple out throughout Papua New Guinea because they have not been able to deal with this. And I, we know that once they hear the gospel, I believe that within that gang, God's going to convert and bring those people to a knowledge of Christ. And there's going to be, that's what's going to make the difference. All good reminders this morning. Thank you.